Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce in the host chair, joined as ever by Christy Doran. Uh, Christy, the Super Rugby season is in the books. Um, of course, the Crusaders doing it again, uh, seven on the bounce. An amazing team, an amazing franchise uh, and a couple of... Uh, Absolute uh, superstars of both the coaching game and the playing game in Scott Robertson and Richie Moonger and, and Sam Whitelock all bowing out in uh, just about the best possible fashion. Uh, we'll come to that later, mate. Uh, welcome back to you. Uh, of course, the big story in Australian rugby yesterday is uh, rather was uh, Eddie Jones naming uh, his first official Wallaby squad uh, of his uh, second tenure as coach of Australia, um, a 34-man squad, despite telling us a number of times he was going to name 33-plus, uh, including in that 30, sorry, three utility players included in that, a rehab group, and then a train horn group. I think it was about 72 players named in all um, or on the uh, the media release that um, that was sent by Rugby Australia yesterday. Um, uh, I made some some huge talking points in there. Before we come to that, mate, um, your weekend, how was it? Pretty good, thanks, Brucey. Oh, oh, just still getting over the razor ray. Ooh, ah, razor ray. Ooh, ah, razor ray. Like that. That was awesome to see on Saturday evening. I enjoyed that, and I just felt like going out. To be honest, I wanted to go out and uh, get carried away after watching the break dancing. Uh, from Razor Ray and Richie Mwanga, who just, I don't know if he was asked to come on, but I feel like he almost stole the show there, yep. did Richie. Um, great to great to see, great to see the, the I don't know, lots and lots of talking points and uh, it's exciting. It's a fun time of year right now. So pretty heavily rugby influenced, no more rugby matches on Friday nights, but we've got uh, Wallaroos coming up Thursday night, there's under 20s, it's just an absolute banquet of rugby at the moment. Sure is. Uh, and I even laced them up myself over the weekend for the first time in, in seven years, uh, 20 minutes in a charity game. Uh, I don't think I'll be doing it again soon. Very sore today. But a shout out to a uh, long-time listener of the pod, uh, Steve Fergus uh, from Orange Emu's uh, Legends team, who got the equaliser there in Orange against the Tory Fanane Foundation. Five all. Um, plenty of sore bodies and plenty of sore heads the next day, uh, but uh, a highly enjoyable afternoon. Did, did you come off the bench then for a 20-minute cameo? Yeah, a couple of uh, short bursts, mate. It was rolling subs, uh, playing on uh, the wing and fullback, which is quite foreign to me, given I played all but, I think, two games of my life at, at number nine. So that was different. Um, but, um, yeah, the stats uh, read two runs, one tackle, one clean out, one pilfer. So not a massive involvement, but just enough to be – uh, sore and sorry still with the old second day onset uh, nonetheless. Well, Brucey, Eddie Jones is looking for utilities. We saw that in his squad. Uh, you've very much put yourself in the frame with that. So congratulations. Thanks, mate. Yes, uh, just um, in all seriousness, seriousness, rather a great day out at Orange. Uh, it was the Orange Derby as well between Emus and City. Um, it wasn't too cold. The sun was shining, but it certainly did get fairly chilly when that set behind the horizon, but uh, made enough about my amateur uh, heroics from the weekend. Um, let's rip into the Wallaby squad. I mean, clearly off the top, um, the headline read uh, the co-captains, um, Michael Hooper and, and James Slipper named alongside one another. Look, I think we probably had an inkling this was certainly possible, um, given Eddie Jones had spoken all year around 
the need for uh, the Wallabies to have multiple leaders. And that was certainly evident in that leadership group that was snapped um, up there on the Gold Coast. Also part of that, uh, Alatoa, Nick White, Andrew Kellaway and, and Jed Holloway. Um, so that was the group that we thought the captain and or captains would emerge from. Um, Eddie's, it was interesting. We, we want to do things differently, but we're, we're kind of doing the things the same with those two guys, right? Because you've got Michael Hooper, who's the most capped, Wallaby's captain of all time, of course, stepped away last year um, to for mental health reasons for a break. Um, James Slipper stepped in during that period and, and did a fair job. And I, I think probably a few people would have been reasonably happy for slips to keep going in that role. And I know you were probably uh, one of them and we might come to that, but I guess the co-captains allows a bit of flexibility there, doesn't it? With two guys who, you know, aren't essentially the clear out and out leaders in their position. They were two or three years ago, certainly four or five years ago. When you think about slippers got Angus Bell, if he can get back to full fitness is a really, really top talent at loose head prop and, and Hooper, um, I guess, has Fraser McWright um, right behind him there and, and potentially even Pete Samu if Eddie does look for a big-ish back row. Um, we know Tom Hooper, who we'll come to a bit later as well, played number seven for the Brumbies in that semi-final against the Chiefs. So I guess it allows a little bit of flexibility there. But, mate, how – I mean, what's your synopsis of the the co-captain's um, scenario that, that Eddie has opted for? He's clearly bought himself some time, hasn't he, to come down and narrow a decision at some point in time. <laughs> There's two months before the World Cup and two months before Australia played France in Paris almost to the day, and then it's an extra week and a half, two weeks before the Wallabies' first World Cup match against Georgia. So time is of the essence. It's a 10-week countdown, essentially. <clears throat> I I've I've grappled with this because I I think Michael Hooper is so, so respected by his teammates and much of the public for his deeds for a long, long time. I just think that, and and ever since I spoke to, I think, Scott Robertson about 14 months ago, where he said he had to make a big decision about moving the direction on from the Crusaders captaincy, which was moving at the time from Kieran Reid in 2017, who was the All Blacks captain, the guy that had been in World Cups, won World Cups. And it was a ballsy decision that paid off. And it wasn't about saying, you know what, Kieran, you passed it. No, you're still an influential figure at the time, but it was a different voice um, and maybe new ideas, a different approach, addressing the group in a different way. I just thought it was the perfect opportunity to move away from Michael Hooper, whose position in the side is by no means settled, I think. What I think is interesting and and still could happen is that Eddie Jones in 2018 uh, had to name a new England captain. That was Owen Farrell. Dylan Hartley missed uh, the, the summer test matches against South Africa at the time. New captain. And later on, Dylan Hartley returns as a co-captain before being phased out. Doesn't really feature in 2019 going into that World Cup campaign. I, I wonder whether or not by naming Michael Uber as a co-captain potentially features on the bench and then the decision is made whether or not, in fact, Michael Uber's got a role to play at this World Cup. I just thought that with eight weeks to go, 
um, a clear decision would be best to be made. Uh, this is your chance to start afresh completely anew. Uh, clearly, Mark, uh, Michael Hooper is going to be there. He's going to South Africa. Whether or not he starts, we'll see. But there is a lot of decisions still be, to be made. Um, James Slipper, as you've, as you've mentioned, you know he's going to have pressure from Angus Bell at some point, not initially, because Bell's not going to play that first game against South Africa. I, I thought Alan Alatoa was another person that could have a real role to play from the captaincy perspective. Um, but we do know that Taniela Tupo is a guy that Eddie Jones believes can be world-class. And if you've got a world-class tight head who's potentially playing 30 minutes or 50 minutes or 40 minutes, how does that affect your decision to name the captain? Uh, we'll see, but there's still, he's, he's given himself a lot of wriggle room, I think, by, by naming co-captains. It could be completely different. I think it will be completely different from 2024, We'll see if this decision comes back to bite him, but I, I think uh, it's a it's a huge call. It is, and I guess even if you think back to to last year when Eddie was coach of of England, they he didn't have co captains, but he had um, certainly two different captains in uh, Owen Farrell and Courtney Laws for the tour down here to Australia, and then um, Courtney was battling either injury or concussion through November, so Owen Farrell was was captain once again. Now he. He didn't have co-captains through that period, did he? So I was... And, and, uh, and before that, Brucey, Tom Curry, I think, captained in the Six Nations as well when a couple of them were injured. So I think he had to go turn to three captains last year. There you go. So the, the co-captaincy, I, I guess, still took me a little by surprise. Um, I mean, outside that leadership group, I know you've spoken about Samu Karevi's leadership potential in the past. He was the captain of the Reds before he went to Japan. I, I wonder if... He was fit, and and the word from Eddie was yesterday that despite being named among that rehab group, Samu was the one who was certainly a chance of playing um, against the Springboks in in South Africa. All the others in that group were were only rated an extreme outside chance, and I think most of them no chance at all. But um, there's a guy there that I guess isn't in that six man leadership group. There was also a word that you know Bernard Foley might have been added to that group, but. That was never made official. Um, and he's, of course, missed the squad on this occasion now as well. So um, Nick White from within there, I don't know if you can make Nick White a captain the way he he plays the game and is um, how he, I guess, can get himself into a, the odd scrap with um, with opposition players and and even um, has been told to to watch his mouth by by referees at times as well. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I, I wonder whether we get to the end of the rugby championship. And as you say, then there's it's reduced down to one. Um, perhaps, you know, you get a clearer mindset around where Angus Bell might be, whether Fraser McWright's had a crack at some point and has really played the house down or um, perhaps been found out a little around his size, which is another issue within this squad we'll come to. But um, we think also back to 2011 when um, Robbie Deans, of course, made that big decision to, to dump Rocky Elsom as captain and install James Hall as captain um, a few months out from, from the world cup. So there's still time left, as you said. And um, I do wonder when we, we get to France and um, certainly that opening game against Georgia in Paris on September nine, whether it is still the co-captains scenario. Yeah. And, and if you trace back and look through some of Eddie Jones's comments over the years, he, 
he made mention of George Gregan and John Eels uh, in the early 2000s. And he said, look, John Eels was the official captain that uh, you know, fronted uh, press conferences and the rest, but George Gregan did a lot of the stuff on the field himself, was often the caller around things. And it, it's such a mountain, such a huge task when you've got presser after presser and the rest of it that goes functions um uh, you're you are the face of Australian rugby that it's so consuming that can you have just one figure uh, that was some of the rationale provided by Eddie back in 2018 regarding Hartley and and Owen um, Farrell clearly that co-captaincy model didn't continue very long uh, so yeah we'll, we'll see but it's it is fascinating uh, Another name, and I, I made mention of it in a story, but, but I have a pretty good authority, was a consideration, and it's particularly a consideration from next year, is Ryan Lonigan. He's so val a highly valued goal kicker, but he's also thought of as a really promising immersion leader. Uh, it would have been a really big call to make it this year. He's managed to make the squad uh, alongside Tate McDermott, Nick White, how the machinations of the nines and who goes in. I, I, I like Tate McDermott coming off the bench because he injects so much pace and tempo to it. But that Lonigan's core skills are, are exceptional. So we'll see. But you're right, so many talking points to come from it. Uh, Bernard Foley, Ben Donaldson, the decision for Dono to, to make it a utility. We, uh, we heard yesterday Eddie Jones talk about uh, the luxury of having someone who can play 10 and 15. And it, it is hugely important when you've got a World Cup and you've got only 33 that you're going to be able to name, can you carry three specialist 10s or three specialist fullbacks or three specialist nines and twos? You, you often can't. So having guys that you might need to step in for a game if, if a player is not out long-term is really important. It is. Uh, it was certainly the name that stood out and, um, you know, was uh, the big talking point on, on social media, probably outside the, the captaincy, Ben Donaldson's inclusion. And I mean, you and I have been critical of him throughout the season. Um, it, it was pretty poor for much of it, wasn't it really? And and not nailing, I think the big thing that stood out for me was uh, made key errors in big moments. Um, when you think back to that game against the Brumbies in, in Canberra, which the Waratahs had, you know, every right to win. And it was kind of tit for tat for most of the match, but then puts that um, that clearing kick out on the full under no pressure. Uh, and it turns out to be a massive moment uh, late in the match. So um, look, he's he's clearly got some talent. There's no doubt about that. It's, uh, Dave Rennie brought him in last year and started him against Wales in that final game after he'd missed the kick to win, uh, to defeat Italy um, a couple of weeks beforehand. So yeah, it's still, it's you're right. It's that versatility, though, isn't it? That ability to cover 15. We know it was a late change there uh, in the Waratahs' uh, quarterfinal against the Blues that um, Darren Coleman brought Tane Edmed back in, and that saw Donaldson move to 15. And, and perhaps not having those chief, you know, playmaking responsibilities, and, and this could be a, a guide for Donaldson in the future, right? Maybe we see more of him at, at 15, perhaps over in the Western Force. We know they've got a truckload of of playmakers over there um, moving forward where he lands. But um, certainly you would have to say fairly fortunate. I guess uh, also a beneficiary of this kind of uncertainty at, at fullback, not only are, uh, the Wallabies not blessed with an array of options there, but Andrew Kellaway is clearly injured as well. So you, you're you looking at, at Tom Wright or, or Reese Hodge 
um, as you, as your two guys. And I think absolutely will be Tom Wright for that game. Um, so he's probably, I would think still at long odds to make the world cup squad, but, um, there'd be a lot of people screaming out there thinking, my goodness, how has he made this team? Yeah. And I looked at, they're not necessarily wrong. One thing that stood out, I think that quarterfinal, that was one of Donaldson's better matches at fullback and yep. throughout the season. And if you remember, nice heads up play by putting the kick behind for Dylan Peach to run on to, to score. Those sorts of moments do uh, stand up. And yes, the game was lost by that point in time, but it was good heads up rugby. He didn't doubt it. Boom. It was smart. It was, it was uh, well taken and it was perfectly executed. So Donaldson trained at fullback a fair bit last week. I was at training three times throughout the week, and you could see him standing up. His big kick, his long kick, uh, was certainly on display. There was lots of kicking throughout the week. That's going to be a big feature uh, underneath uh, under Eddie Jones in, in 2023. <clears throat> it always is in World Cup campaigns. Uh, it, it, whether or not he he makes a 23 will be interesting. I, I it's probably doubtful, and it may depend on whether or not Samar Karevi's fit for that Pretoria test. Because if he's fit, he starts at 12, he Tows at 13, you probably have Quade Cooper at 10 and Tom Wright at fullback. And if you're looking for someone who can cover uh, utility value, Reese Hodge does that really well from a bench perspective by being able to cover 10, 12, 13, 15, and even on the wing. So I, I can see him just missing out. But if Karevi isn't fit, then maybe... Maybe you do see a Reese Hodge come into the mix. Um, we know Lalakai Fichetti's still there. Izzy Parisi has been named as well. Um, so he does have options. Maybe that's a point of that, that he doesn't see Hodge as an out-and-out midfielder. And potentially that's because of his defensive frailties at times. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, he, he sticks out like a sore thumb off the back of the season that he had. Uh, you're right to highlight that Brumbies match um, down in Canberra where that was a game that, that was there for the taking, wasn't able to take hold of. Goal kicking under pressure isn't great either, particularly around that 15-metre channel. And often that's where the first penalties of the of a test or a super rugby match, they're not always bankers, they're not always easy, and you've got to nail them because it sets a tone. Uh, Anyway, oh, look, we've seen him name a big squad with guys in that rehab group and elsewhere. I, I don't mind it because we know that the bulk of the train-on squad is going to be included in an Australian A uh, team that will take on Tonga in just a couple of weeks anyway. So I think that was probably smart. It gives a bit of an idea of where people are. Yep. But also when... You, you know, club rugby, it's obviously, it's it's a bit of a step down. People need to know what they're doing or where they're going and what they're training for as well. So at least it gives everyone clarity, I think, at, at the very least. How do you expect Eddie to manage, well, not manage, but I guess introduce Carter Gordon to Test Rugby over the next few weeks? Um, is it off the bench um, in Pretoria in a real kind of, I guess, cauldron-like atmosphere? Is it worth him perhaps getting a start the following week. We know Eddie has spoken about wanting to build certainly continuity and build a winning culture. Um, and certainly those games against the All Blacks afterwards are going to be um, just as important and, and, and probably toughest of, of the, the bunch, maybe not Pretoria, but um, certainly Argentina. Is that the key game for Carter Gordon to perhaps have a start? Do you think at, at number 10, um, just so 
you know, we don't get to, Australia doesn't get to the World Cup in a situation. And suddenly if, you know, Bernard Foley doesn't play a role down the track and, and Eddie indicated that was still a, a chance to happen. But um, does Carter Gordon need a, the number 10 on his back sometime during the rugby championship to get that exposure, um, that feeling for starting, a, you know, the, the the fiery open opening moments, opening 15, 20 minutes of a test match so that if, you know, heaven forbid, at the World Cup, Quade goes down um, and suddenly, you know, Carter Gordon's your man against Wales in Lyon, right? Is is that something you you think we can expect um, from the Wallabies through this period, that, that Carter Gordon might get a run uh, a run on start at some point? It quite possibly. I think I, I think it would be madness not to start Quade Cooper against the Springboks. I think that seems like the likely conclusion that they're going to go out, that they're going to try to win a test. And... Yeah, it's a it's a such a tight turnaround, and do you really want to risk a Quade Cooper five days after a really long war flight when he's had Achilles issues, calf issues, etc. Over the last year, I wouldn't think so. So, yeah, I think it's probably a reasonable shout, and maybe that's how you introduce a Ben Donaldson as well off the bench to be able to cover a couple of spots. You'll probably have Reese Hodge who could jump in at ten if necessary too. I think you're probably bang on there because you've got to remember an All Blacks uh, quick fire, two tests over two weeks, either side of July. It's not a very long run in, is it? It's You've got to bank it and there's no easy test matches. You think about even Argentina, you put it in Argentina's perspective. Yes, they want to go down and or they want to do hopefully a job on New Zealand, but then they've got to come to to Sydney too and that's not an easy match. Uh, we've seen that they've delivered. They've got some great history at Parramatta, having mm-hmm. beaten New Zealand there in, in 2020, a draw against the Wallabies too. So they will be uh, sensing the potential of a boil over there. I think they would probably try to target that, get some momentum, get a win. If you get a win, that helps your confidence leading into the rugby, into the World Cup. And, and if we scroll back to 2019, Mario Ledesma side didn't have a huge amount of confidence going into that World Cup uh, and and it probably showed on the field. It was a campaign that didn't go particularly well for them. Of course, they had a, a really narrow defeat in that first match against France, I think it was. So, yep. um, yeah, look, you, you want momentum going into a World Cup, but I, I agree. I think Carter Gordon would be a great shout to, to start. But the other thing before we move on, and Eddie Jones is right. He highlighted the fact that there could be 10 to 20%, generally speaking, injuries throughout a, a rugby championship campaign. So we we can expect injuries, and that's right across the four nations that are competing. What about, I guess, some of the uh, the unlucky ones to miss this squad, Christy? Um, probably you think of, of Harry Wilson, who continues to be stuck in this kind of I don't know how to call it the, the twilight zone almost that you kind of see what he can do at super rugby. He's topped the run meters, the carries, I think for probably three years running now, right? Like he's, there's no, um, you know, no uncertainty around what he offers on the attacking side of the ball. I think his defensive efforts got better towards the back end of the season. And perhaps that's what started to shift the narrative a little bit that he could be um, included in this squad, but with, I guess Rob Valentini there named clearly as you would have to think the the man at number eight, uh, Langing Gleeson, among 
the rehab group. Um, you've then got your back rowers, uh, well, so, sorry, number six contenders in Rob Leota, Tom Hooper and, and Jed Holloway. Um, and Josh Kemeny. And Josh Kemeny among those utilities as well. Um, look, is it's hard not to feel sorry for Harry, but you can kind of see the rationale behind it, can't you? And and it's going to take certainly probably one, maybe two injuries during this period for Harry to get a look in. Um, you know, they're up in arms in Queensland over uh, his omission. Um, and it's just hard to see exactly where Harry moves through this period, right? Like it's, um, you don't want to say his lack of, I guess, versatility, because you could probably say the same things of of Gleeson and Valentini, although Valentini has been used at six, but um, he's clearly sort of that number three in that pecking order at number eight right now, isn't he? Yeah, look, you and I both left Harry Wilson out of a predicted squad, and this isn't necessarily a squad that we would name. It's kind of what we thought might occur. Yep. And and we're well, pretty close to the mark, I think, on a lot of those sorts of selections. Uh, yeah, I think Harry Wilson's very unfortunate. He's such a good fella. Great for a team environment. Absolutely. Goes at it. You could see him last week training, says g'day, um, rips here, has a good time. Uh, but you're right. I think maybe the lack of versatility. And and the other thing is when he was playing, he played six against the Wallabies last year, uh, sorry, against England last year at the SCG. And I thought he was thrown out for a bit of a hiding of nothing, a guy that hadn't played six in a long, long time. And yes, he might have for the junior Wallabies, but the, the, the balance just didn't quite feel right. <clears throat> People missed uh, clean outs. The attacking breakdown was a mess. Uh, and maybe those sorts of things have played against Harry Wilson there, the fact that he hasn't played much six. Uh, if anything was to happen to Rob Valentini, and I, I hope that certainly doesn't occur, but if Valentini's not there, I, I'd be bringing Harry Wilson straight away back in because he is a guy that I think is quite similar. I just think what, what we see from Valentini's post-game meters and real sting in the carry. I'm not sure if you get the same sting in the carry from, from Harry Wilson. And when you talk about, when people talk about the collision game, Rob Valentini generally wins the collisions. Harry Wilson tries to go holes and, and has great lines that he runs. So they're slightly different players, despite being very, very good ball runners, the two of them. Uh, Hooker was an interesting one. I, I think, you and I both had Lockie Lonigan among our uh, our three predicted hookers last week, um, but also with the acknowledgement that Matt Faisler was was pretty close, right? Faisler was very close, um, finished uh, the season really strongly with the Reds, was pretty solid throughout the year, right? Um, and I was just looking at their weights and heights before coming on before, and and Fesler, according to their bios on uh, Queensland and the Brumbies rugby, is about eight or nine kilos heavier. And we know Eddie has spoken a lot about size and power, and um, obviously named Jordan Ulysses and, and Dave Parekh is the other two hookers, hookers rather. Is that how you see it, that Fesler has been a straight selection in front of Lonigan there because he's that just that little bit, bulkier of frame or do you honestly think he was probably playing better than say Lockie Lonigan towards the the finish there they, they offer slightly different things Lonigan as we say he's, he's a real ball of energy um he's, he's set piece work is is pretty solid um but perhaps isn't a guy who's going to win you any collisions um Fesler might do that a little bit more is that how you see that scenario having unfolded 
Oh, I reckon Fezler's work against the Chiefs is really can't like paid off. You, you highlight the Chiefs and the balance of their forward pack and how many All Blacks are there. The fact that Fezler stood up in those sorts of matches, I think, really would have counted strongly in his favour. Lonigan, you wouldn't imagine, is out of the running at all, though, because he's a guy that provides a lot of tempo, pace, uh, finishing ability. He can get a turnover. We saw that against Wales last year. Scores a try, gets a key turnover. So I think he'll come back into the mix. A good opportunity for Eddie Jones immediately to go, does Jordan Yalisi, Yalisi have it or not? Because 2023, we've seen that he, he let's be honest, he, he should not be there on his form alone this year. And he probably shouldn't be there for his body work, of work over the last few years. He's, he's not been anywhere near it probably gone down at times um injuries hasn't haven't helped uh but but he big boy but hasn't necessarily played like a big man out in the field yet so eddie's probably going you know this is an opportunity to look and does he have it because in 2019 he goes to a world cup and you think this guy could be something huge broad shoulders but we haven't seen it for four years eddie's one of his projects is just to saying it but it could be our last chance for him and if he's not a Lonigan does come back into the mix or a flower flying, it does come back into the mix. So there's some guys there, um, certainly in the mix, but I don't mind it first up. Whether or not he plays is another thing. Um, he certainly won't start, you wouldn't you wouldn't think, but he's a guy that could take it to the spring box. And when you've got Taniela Tuvo, who you have to think is still on a huge amount of doubt to play that first game against the box. Um, you can understand a bigger hooker there being in, in his place. I guess the last couple of guys who perhaps we, we didn't see coming or we didn't predict we were going to be there, uh, Zane Ongor named uh, in the front row at prop, um, clearly. Um, again, a pretty solid season with the Reds, but someone who, who probably we thought was just going to miss. Um, and uh, Izzy Parisi, Um I don't think his season this year was anything like um, his last couple um, for the Waratahs. Um, obviously had that, uh, was playing the house down in 2021 uh, when he was injured in that last game um, uh, and missed the French series. And I think um, played very little before maybe returning on the spring tour late that year. Last year, a similar thing again, uh, gets injured coming off the bench against England there uh, in Brisbane, I think in the second game and, mm-hmm. Um, probably struggles. And then this year had his moments, really good game against the Highlanders in Sydney stands out, um, but probably not the consistency and the tackle shredding that we've seen in the past two seasons of Super Rugby. So um, probably, you know, a bit of a surprise there, I guess in front of Hunter Paisami, who has struggled with injury and a couple of head knocks this year as well. Um, and so the injuries, yeah. And the, and the injuries as well. So a couple of guys there. Otherwise, I, I think, you know, you could probably say that it was uh, was as as expected, right? Yeah, and look, we both put Tom Hooper in there. I had heard earlier in the week that uh, Josh Kameny was really standing up and, and the more questions I asked of more people, they were all hearing the same thing. And it just gave me the thought that this guy's a serious bugger. Josh Kameny's a serious bugger. I don't know if you've ever spoken to him, but... He doesn't, he's not there just to um, talk himself up or anything. He wants you to let his actions uh, do the talking out in the field. And fair play to him. He's always had a really great physique. And if you think, I think it was 2021, he had a great campaign. And you thought, okay, 
Josh Kemeny is on the on the selection radar, but unfortunately he had a devastating injury at the back end of the season and then missed, I think, uh, all of 2022 pretty much. So fair play to him getting into the into the mix. Um, Matt Gibbon uh, is probably going to be the backup loose head for the for the test against the Springboks. With interesting, only five props selected. Once again, that conundrum, five or six in a 33-person squad. Which um, I don't know, Christy, if you had this trouble, but I, I kind of went back and forth trying to find where is the value here about having the that extra player, you know, across your positional breakdown. And, I mean, that's you and I doing that for editorial purposes to, um, for coverage, right, for media coverage. So can you imagine those discussions in the around the selection table among this raft of Wallabies coaches? And you should see them down at Coogee last week. They're everywhere. And um, I tell you what, didn't Beric Barnes still look like he could be out there playing? And at one stage right in front of us dropped the – a drop goal over from about 45 out as easy as you like, but um, that's going to be some, and that could change through this next period, right? Around, I guess, finding out what happens with injuries and, and the, just the tempo of matches and, and where those, you know, that extra one or two players across those key position or groups, where is it best to have that extra little bit of cover? Yeah. And bang on. And we've seen uh, a few, just a few specialist locks, no Caden Neville, Probably a selection after yep, good call. pretty good semi-final that we thought, okay, he, he might be in the mix here. But Richie Arnold, Will Skelton, we've seen five overseas players named and no uh, Ben Foley. Was there a push? Could there have been a sixth? Um, my understanding is that uh, Eddie Jones didn't ask, can we have six? His team that he selected was five. And the two exemptions being... Um, Hooper and and one of the locks kind of got passed through straight away. There was no. Do we do we asked. read anything into that, Christy? That the three guys who were named were Corabetti, Skelton, and uh, Karevi as the three existing Giddo Law picks under the the protocols or the um, I guess the as the rules are written right now under the overseas uh, player selection policy, and that Cooper and and Arnold were the additional two. Requests? Uh, do you make anything of that? That those were the top three, and then the others were the the additional picks. Uh, potentially, I think it goes to show that Karevi's world class, Corabetti's world class, Skelton's world class. Uh, the others we don't really know. Like as much as we want Quade Cooper to have succeeded and succeed, uh, and he can be world class, no doubt about it. He's played six Test matches in six years, and five of them came in a nice spell four of them at home, two of them against Argentina, and then an away game against Japan. He is still pretty untried, uh, really, if you think about it. There's not a Northern Hemisphere, with the exception of Japan, there's not really a traditional Northern Hemisphere side that he's taken on there. Uh, so there's still questions to be asked. Uh, but, yeah, it, it was interesting, wasn't it? And it would, I, I get the feeling like there will still be... Um, yeah, there's four big test matches to be played. And whether Foley comes back into it, we, we might see. But Eddie will find out a hell of a lot about Carter Gordon, who had a great year uh, for the Rebels over the next month. So, yeah, we'll see. But it was an intriguing squad. The utility selections were fascinating. The, the idea that some of, you know, you want to back rolls and wings and wingers at open side flankers a la 
Jack Noel, who who once or twice popped up on the side of the scrum for England and was clearly a great winger and a leading exit, I think, to join maybe Montpellier or somewhere in France. So um, always an intriguing selection when it comes to Eddie Jones and, and selections. Just on quickly, on Richie Arnold, quickly before we we wrap up, as I mean, as if push comes to shove, you would think that Eddie, if Eddie went to the board and said, look, I want six players, I want Bernard Foley in my World Cup, Scotty, there's every chance he might get it. But, I mean, is Richie Arnold, is he the big one there that he's brought him in and he needs to play him in these this rugby championship probably as early as possible to find out? I mean, this is a guy who, until basically this season, has not been on the Wallabies' radar at all. And when he was named in April, I, I think probably 99% of Australian rugby fans went, hang on, is that not meant to be Rory? Is this a typo here, right? Like, um, But hearing Eddie talk about how he's played with um, Toulouse in the top 14 and speaking to guys at Toulouse about what he's done, his, his body of work in, in recent years. Um, clearly, uh, he's a guy that Eddie, Eddie sees something in. Um, it's now whether he has got something that is valuable at test level as well, right? So this next little period is, is huge for, for Richie Arnold, probably more so than anyone else. Oh, big time for both of them. And it'll be interesting to see if both start and I think they will because if you look at who Richie Arnold's locking partner at Toulouse has been over the last year or so it's it's Mafu the former Ringarats player who somehow um, is now on top of the world he's going to be missing from this year's World Cup because of eligibility reasons but but he'll be playing for France you imagine next year so you, you compare him with Skelton they're kind of similar sort of bodies and what they do so um I think they combine really well. That's a that's an exciting second row pairing, and you don't win big games of World Cups without them. Uh, a good shout to Ben Alexander, who made the comparison between Tom Hooper and Peter Steph to Toit. Um, it's a huge rap. Saw that, yeah. But I can see it. I think that's a that's a reasonable shout, and he's a guy that has a great skill set, and he hits the line hard. I love the way that he powers into it, he dents it, he makes an impact and he's good on both sides of the ball and great at the line out too. So um, yeah, the, the the forward pack configuration will be an interesting one going forward. And that, I guess, looking at perhaps how that back row blueprint could work and put both Michael Hooper and Fraser McWright in a bit of positional jeopardy, right? If you look at the way South Africa picked their back row when they've got, or when they've had everyone available in the past few years, um, Khaleesi at six, Peter Steff at seven, and then probably Dwayne Vermeulen or um, trying to think who's the fellow who's come through the last couple of years for Leicester. Um, uh, we've only seen a couple of times here during the rugby championship. Anyway, um, that's kind of almost the blueprint you could see that Eddie using with that um, selection of Tom Hooper, perhaps as a, as a seven alongside say a, Rob Leota at six or a Jed Holloway and then um, clearly Rob Valentini at eight, right? Yeah, and, and it's certainly, if you're not going to use Will Skelton at the line out, you can use him really um, cleverly if you if you like, but it just allows for so many options. You want four line out options and there you go, you've got them. So um, I, I like it. I think, I think on the whole, it's a pretty good squad, which will be even better if one or two guys come back from injury. And um, we don't know how Rob Leota is going. I, I hear that he's, he's, he's killing it. He could have been playing for the last couple of weeks, but when you got these guys coming back from your injuries, 
there's always an element of how are they going to come back? And once we see the likes of Bell, Tupo, and if indeed they're in form, then all of a sudden that squad starts to look pretty scary, I think. Jasper Vise, the Springboks number eight. Yes. Yeah. Uh, his name eluded me there at Leicester. Thank you, uh, Google. Uh, all right, mate. I think we've uh, we've done a pretty good wrap-up of um, Wallaby squad there. Uh, of course, two weeks uh, now of the countdown very much on uh, for that game in Pretoria, uh, July 8th. So um, there'll be a few uh, bleary-eyed Australians the next morning after that one. You and I among them. Super Rugby final, uh, as we mentioned, won 25-20 by the Crusaders. Uh, seven Super Rugby titles on the bounce across the old Super Rugby, um, Super Rugby Aotearoa, um, and now Pacific the last two years, really missing only the the Trans-Tasman series there of, of 2021 along the way. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I guess what can you, you say uh, before we talk about the dynasty of, of this team, the match itself, um, Chiefs' uh, discipline cost them, really, didn't it? It was, um, I think it was a run of six penalties to start the game. Um, the momentum was well and truly with the Crusaders. Uh, Anton Leonard-Brown, certainly very fortunate to avoid a, a red card. Um, and, and perhaps we might break that down a little bit more shortly. Um, they'll they'll feel unlucky around that uh, Amoni Narawa, Narawa rather, try. Um, you think that uh, that McKenzie break, if, if they go two phases and then score, then the TMO is not chalking that one off, are they? The fact that they scored from that break immediately, it's got that old rugby league scenario with the TMO that, you know, they, there's a break and there might have been a fumble back up field and they get tackled and then maybe score off the following players. The defence is broken and it's it's all good, all good because they can't go back that far. Um, but technically that decision, absolutely correct, right? He's probably two or three metres offside there at the line out um, before it crosses the 15. Um, and in the end, you know, three yellow cards playing down a man for, for 30 minutes, it's going to be tough to win, right? Yeah, look, I've got no complaints about the officiating. The only one that you kind of go, mm, was that forward pass probably. I think it was from Jack Goodhue who tried to rip her right to left centre field. And with the halfway line there, it was pretty obvious that it was forward. It was probably thrown flat out of the hands, but but it certainly wasn't back out of the hands. So, uh, but the rest of it, you're right. Um, uh, Anton Leonard Bounds should have been shown probably a red and probably a straight red for that. That goes against everything that we're saying. I don't know how uh, Brendan Pickerel's find, found any form of mitigation there. It was barely um, dropping and at all times and uh, Leonard Brown was was high. So that, that won't be officiated that way in a World Cup. And we know that. And every World Cup, they can't clamp down on those sorts of things. So that you know, that that's exactly what the the obstacle and uh, that'll be the showcase thing for the North to go. Well, why are we going to have a twenty minute red card when you don't come down hard on an instant like this? Otherwise, um, I thought it was an, an enthralling, gripping uh, super final. Um, McKenzie probably rue the fact that he's gone for that shot from halfway. Maybe he had the wind behind him. I'm not sure, but 52 metres out late in the game, it's always a tough one uh, to, to slot. But the Crusaders just showed their smarts, didn't they? They hung in there. But you're right, had McKenzie uh, narrow scored that second, uh, the game's done and dusted there. 27-15, you think, right? Yeah, there's. I don't think there's coming back from that. The momentum... Um, would have been too strong 
it goes back the other way, a penalty, and then the Chiefs really struggled to get any further momentum and ascendancy into that game. But fair play to the Crusaders. Their juggernaut continues, and people just have to be studying what the heck are the Crusaders doing that other franchises aren't, and probably doesn't seem as complicated as, as it might be. Yeah, you've you got to think now um, that the big point for this one is that that's two finals they've won away from home, right, on the, the biggest game of the year, and they've gone to Auckland and Hamilton this time around, having lost both home and away to the Chiefs during the year, right? But when the big match, uh, the final match of the year uh, rolls around, um, they're the team you want to be on, and they've proven it time and time again. Like, um, they just seized the big moments after Sam Kane was... With Sin Bin there, what do they do? They they roll them all over. They execute um, when the opportunity presents. And um, you you got to say, yep, Chiefs probably the best team throughout the year. But unless you get the job done um, on the final game of the season, then, you know, you're left with nothing to show for it. And as much as I, I probably feel for the, the Chiefs, uh, I did think McKenzie, probably one of his poorer games, apart from that break, I, I thought that a couple of times he... He just started a little bit. There was a drop ball at one point, um, whereas Maunga, um, you know, scored his try and, and and was pretty solid. There was one misconversion there, but, um, you know, really stepped up in, in the big moments. And and you think about, you know, his contribution to that team with Sam Whitelock and, and Scott Robertson. Obviously, Whitelock was there across the years when they were in that title drought under Todd Blackadder. A um, couple of finals, a couple of narrow losses in finals. Um, and it's now a few years later, or rather seven years later has, has seven titles to show for it. Um, it's just an incredible franchise. And, um, you know, I guess the, while we've got the World Cup clearly to come from a New Zealand rugby perspective and the rugby championship before that, his move, Scott Robinson, to the All Blacks next year is going to be fascinating, isn't it, right? Like, uh, there's, you can't tell me there's a player in New Zealand who's not excited to be part of a, a Scott Robinson coached All Blacks team and, we know the guys that are moving won't be there next year too, right? Like he's not going to have uh, Moonga, Whitelock, um, Artie Sevilla, Bowden Barrett, um, Lester Fyinganuka, who, you know, could probably didn't deliver at all last year in the All Blacks after debuting. Um, but on the basis on the, of the body of his work this year is going to be in and around that World Cup squad this time around, clearly. Um, there's going to be a real changeover in that All Black squad and how Robertson brings them together. Um, you know, I, we, we don't want to look too far ahead yet, just yet clearly, but, um, it, it's going to be a, a really, really fascinating, uh, subplot next year, right? Oh yeah. Oh, I'm pleased that Sam Whitelock took the field, whether or not they won or lost, I'm pleased he took the field because he's just been there for a long, long time, uh, and a perfect fairy tale send off for the Crusaders lock. You're right. And, and I get the feeling as well, like, Fozzie Razor, like it's still it's still going to be a subplot this this year, isn't it? If the All Blacks drop a match, you know, like they're backed in him uh, this year, but they kind of haven't because they've already planned ahead. So oh, I just think it's going to be an intriguing one. The headline's going to build and the pressure will be felt and they'll just have lingering in the background will be, will be Razor Robertson, Razor Ray. Uh, so... Uh, wouldn't, would, wouldn't it be a story right like and, and you know we don't expect it to happen I, Argentina in Argentina first up is going to be a mighty test for them right given what we saw last year and this uh, this Pumas team under check worked out a way to you know completely 
um, nullify the All Blacks in in Christchurch. I think it was last year, having beaten them in Sydney the the year prior or a couple of years prior. Now I can't remember the COVID years, but um, that's and then they they get South Africa at home at Mount Smart Stadium, the home of the Warriors, not their Eden Park graveyard. So does that shift things? Um, slightly back towards uh, the spring box. I think they they won't fear going to Mount Smart Stadium as much as they would have Eden Park um, and then back-to-back Bledisloe. So I don't imagine that they're going to go 0-4 or even probably 1-3. and I, I think it could be a 3-1 and one or a 4-0 four, uh, four and zero sweep for the All Blacks for the Rugby Championship. But, um, you know, imagine if the All Hell did break loose and suddenly they're left with a decision to you know, back Fozzie uh, again through to the World Cup or, or make that that massive change. But um, we won't look too far ahead. We won't crystal ball that just yet. We might just put that out there in the, uh, it's, it's, in the it's, a he- it's a heck of a crystal ball, that, Brucey. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, mate. Um, anything else then from, from that match? Um, I, I think we've covered off the, the big ones. Um, yeah, interesting to see how the Crusaders go next year, I guess, under under Rob Penny. Um, we know the production line they've got access to, not just from within their own region, but how attractive and, and their recruitment to be able to go to players across New Zealand and say, look, there's a very good reason that we win titles down here. Um, if you guys can, you know, want to be part of that, the, the most successful team in the land and probably the most successful rugby team on the planet, then, you know, the door's open. Um, but without those guys we mentioned, um, uh, look, you, you got to figure that, um, you know, Rob Penny probably doesn't have to do too much, right? Just they've got a couple of assistant coaches underneath Tomati Ellison um, coming through. Matt Todd. Um, yeah. Yeah, Matt Todd, a couple of uh, Liam Napier, certainly on the column for ESPN a couple of weeks ago. His thinking is that this is, you know, a bit of a short-term real period for for Penny to kind of oversee while these next couple of guys come through. And I think it was a two-year deal, was it not, that he signed? So, um yeah, it'll be a brave man to bet against them that they're not going to be there at the pointy end again next year, right? Oh, look, I agree. I agree. And look, Scott Barrett's a central component of that skipper demand standards. Probably played more in the second row going forward without Whitelock being there. Uh, but they still have that core group of leadership. They've got their backroom staff um, settled. And then they've got you know the, the people in the offices like uh, their, their CEO, Colin Mainsbridge, who have been there for a long time. It's not like there's uncertainty there. So it's going to be a completely different uh, state of affairs from what Rob Penny joined when he joined the Waratahs, when there was instability across not only the team, but also the, the staff. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, 2024. Uh, we'll look forward to uh, another edition of Super Rugby Pacific, perhaps with some you know, some some changes in that uh, that Super Rugby Commission we think might be done within, according to Hamish McLean anyway, within one to two months, but uh, who knows? Um, all right, mate, some other rugby uh, being played at the moment or certainly um, across the weekend and ongoing the next couple of weeks, the under-20s. And also, let's start, though, before we get to that, the Wallaroos are back in action against the Black Ferns uh, this Thursday night at KO Stadium there at Redcliffe, uh, just north of Brisbane. Um, look, uh, you know, I guess they played, what was it, mid-May, that game against um, that uh, doubleheader uh, with the Waratahs and and uh, the Drua. They played uh, Fiji beforehand. I think about uh, 22-5 was the score there. Um, certainly looked like a team that had just been thrown together and had a week's preparation. They've had far more preparation this time around. Um, we know they have never beat New Zealand. It's one of the big rugby droughts out there left in, in Australian rugby and certainly in 
in world rugby as well. Uh, New Zealand are the world champions, of course. Um, this match has uh, W15 uh, ramifications in terms of what um, level, what group the, the Wallaroos will fall into. They've, they've This forms part of the Pacific Four with the US and Canada, which they'll then play the remainder of those games in uh, North America, I think in July. So um, an important game on that front. Um, but just trying to, I guess, edge that little bit closer to New Zealand again, right? Get within striking distance. Um, they push them. Uh, it was quite a tight game in Adelaide. You were down there last year at Adelaide Oval ahead of the Springboks for the O'Reilly Cup. Um, and then, of course, got out to, I think, about a was it 17-0 lead um, in that World Cup opener before getting overrun. So they've shown that they can mix it with the Black Ferns um, for a period of time, right? It's about doing it for 80 minutes. Um, and we all know that this level of Super W went up sort of three or four notches this year, right? The the quality of the games was the competitiveness of the games was was greatly improved on the, the past couple of seasons. So, um, you know, I'm really looking forward to this one on Thursday night. Yeah, and, and you're right to point out that it does seem like maybe the golf is just closing a little bit as professionalism comes through more in Australia. New Zealand's been ahead of the game there. Uh, there's naturally going to be a bit of a catch-up. Whether or not, uh, and, and I think it's great that Australia managed to play against, the, the Wallaroos managed to play against Fiji, the Fijiana uh, side there, and and that the fact that there's been quite a long break in between that, I think it's not a bad thing. It will allow them to have addressed a few of the issues that they saw, um, more time with their playmaker to to kind of settle things, good boot, good direction. Uh, spent you know played a lot of rugby in New Zealand before joining Queensland too. So uh, it'll give them a good chance to maybe hit the ground running against New Zealand, perhaps catch them off guard a little bit. Um, but it'll be an, a, a good game, um, a great idea of where they're at and an important one for Australian rugby and the, and the wider EK system, particularly going into a, you know, there's a World Cup in a couple of years' time, but there's a lot of test matches this year. The more rugby they can play is, is, is only you know, going to help them going forward. Yeah, a couple of uh, women coming back from uh, playing uh, the Premiership 15s. Arabella McKenzie, England is she was, coming back in this mix? I, I think um, whether she's available this week or not, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, was named actually, I noticed on social inside media center, this yeah. morning, inside centre uh, as the team of the team of the competition. So um, you'd have to say that she's kicked on, you know, uh, massively from, from last year and really benefited from that stint up there. I think M Chancellor uh, has been back uh, yeah. with the squad already. So you'd think she's going to, feature and I guess Christy amid this kind of you know real growth in competitiveness for the hearts and minds of women's sport in Australia uh, we've seen um, New Zealand affected as well that the NRLW is continually picking off you know rugby players uh, Grace Kemp a big one I think that really hurt this year uh, picked up by the Raiders that they're just that little bit further down and and you know they only got their CBA done recently right as well if it has actually been been formalized so you know, that there's still this ability to kind of, you know, really sell the game and and you want in the lead up to a World Cup, you want this Wallaroos team from an Australian perspective anyway to show that, okay, yeah, this is a team that is not actually just hosting the World Cup, but is going to be a chance of of winning it come 2029. Um, and it all starts here and, and trying to keep, you know, because we know we've seen it even from rugby to AFLW clearly with Chloe Dalton, all right? And the the... The women are going everywhere, all right? There's so many have got the ability 
Um, the, the Levi sisters in the sevens have come, you know, they had offers from, from AFL and maybe even the NRL as well. Right. But um, this competitiveness for, uh, to sign players, it's great for women's sport, number one, but um, it's really on rugby to, to get its, you know, SHIT together um, and, and show that this is a game that, you know, you get opportunities like this to play for your country in big games. Hopefully there's a big crowd there at KO stadium. Um, but also that they're capable of winning them, right? And and making that top world 15 group to to play in the big women's test matches every year. Yeah, and a year out from the Olympics, so I still think there needs to be, and I hope there are conversations around the Wallaroos and how some of those players in the sevens can, uh, can potentially take part. And maybe not in the whole thing, but one or two games here or there, because... What 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 you need environments is winning environments because that helps the culture a lot, doesn't it? You want players who are going to add to a playing group, and I think that, yes, the, the seven squad are on a deserved break. Uh, they've got a big campaign uh, moving forward. There's going to be combined events with the fifteen, uh, sorry, with the with the uh, men's sevens, the World Series sevens, and a Paris Olympics next year. But that's still quite a while away, isn't it? It's still more than a year away, and I just think that those conversations need to be taken place because you're right, there are the NRLW, the AFLW that continues to compete hard ferociously to get the best talent. And Australian rugby has not been great at talent identification. From the men's perspective, they need to make sure that their women's talent identification is better and that they hold on to those key players and sometimes winning, knowing that you're going to be part of a winning environment, which gets more eyeballs on TV gets more promotion, gets more uh, advertising money, gets more people excited going up to games that can only add to a, a player's decision to stay or to leave a game. For sure, for sure. So uh, I think it's 7 o'clock uh, kickoff there on, on Thursday uh, night. Um, so be sure to tune into that one uh, if you're uh, sitting at home on the couch and looking for a bit of uh, Thursday night sport. Uh, all right, mate, before we wrap up quickly, the under 20s is, is underway, underway rather in South Africa as well. Uh, Australia getting off to a winning start, albeit pushed all the way by by Fiji and really having to scrap for for that victory, uh, winning 46 37. Uh, it probably wasn't a full strength under 20s team named by coach Nathan Gray. Um, but some of the other results show this is going to be a really, you know, tight tournament and, and probably that France, are, are, you know, clearly look like the big dogs as they have been in this competition in, in recent times. I mean, the, the junior all blacks, uh, coming back to, from 19-5 down to beat Wales 27-26 and Wales didn't win a game in the under 26 nations this year. Right. So, so what that says around where, um, New Zealand and by extension, Australia might be at this tournament, um, I mean, great for rugby that we know it has been getting increasingly uh, competitive over the last, or certainly before COVID hit and, and then it wasn't played for a couple of years. Gone are the days that, you know, New Zealand and South Africa kind of bossed this tournament for a long while. It's it's really even across the board and no doubt the kind of, I guess, the formalising of that under 26 nations up north has really helped that bring those teams on. Um, but um, I guess, you know, the Aussies will take that and, and move on. And they've got, you know, uh, Ireland, I think, about the same time as the Wallaroos play, actually, on on Thursday night. So, you know, might need the, the two-screen setup um, against Ireland. That's going to be a huge game. Big game because England and Ireland drew uh, over the weekend. So it, it allows for a side to now take that momentum, um, get at least second spot um, and... And 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 
the fact that there's such a short turnaround probably pays a part in why some of those guys like your Jack Bowens and your, um, your Teddy Wilson's come off the bench because you've got to manage minutes when there's a really quick five, six day turnaround. Uh, we probably saw that across some of the other nations as well, I'd imagine, but it's a big one. It's a big one. We saw Darby Lancaster continue his a great seventh form, another long range try showing his speed and his strength uh, out on the left wing, a couple of tries, uh, but a good win. Momentum building continues where they left off against New Zealand uh, earlier in the month. And it's exciting. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited by a junior Wallaby side that's competing because that is obviously the nursery towards towards the Wallabies team. Yeah, uh, Super Rugby as well. And um, just on that, uh, another interesting signing last week by the Rebels picking up uh, Filippo Dalgunu. Um, you think about uh, their recruitment um, and how good Dalgunu was at outside centre, you know, playing out of position there for the Reds in that that quarterfinal against the Chiefs. That's a big pickup for them considering, as you mentioned, Derby Lancaster is headed there. Uh we know Lucan Salakai Loto and, and just the basis, Tenula Tupu will be there next year as well. So, um, you know, Rebels fans uh, or, or Melburnians in general, um, you know, look out for your team next year. But yeah, under 20s uh, continues uh, two more pool games. Uh, the format of that tournament is that uh, the three pool winners go through and then the uh, the second, the highest place, second place finisher across the three pools uh, is the other semi finalist. So, as you say, a huge game against Ireland and then. Wrapping up the group uh, against England, um, you know, it's it's for the junior Wallabies to come out of that is it's going to be a, a big result in itself. But um, on Stan Sports, so check it out if you got the chance. Uh, all right, mate, I, I think that's a pretty good wrap. Anything uh, we missed, do you think? Well, I don't think so, but uh, we know that the Wallabies will be in Oz until the in Thursday, Friday. I think they head to South Africa on Friday, but before then, four days on the Gold Coast, lots of trainings, um, players will be up for media and uh, a lot of excitement. So we're looking forward to telling some more stories. I'll tell you what would be good to see. Surely they bust the Wallabies group up there to watch the Wallaroos play on uh, Thursday night, right? That's, I mean, uh, it should be a, it should be a no brainer if they, if they, you know, if it's still on the Gold Coast or it's not too far away, then it, then it should happen. Um, but, but we do know that they've got a big 24 hours to get over to South Africa um, before that, like you can't underestimate how how much trouble is involved in that trip. Yeah, oh, we might put that question to someone at Rugby Australia. Uh, all right, mate. Thanks again for your time. Um, yeah, massive uh, couple of weeks coming up. Uh, plenty of talking points as we look forward to a, a team naming next week, and we might try and get a South African guest on um, someone uh, with a bit of insight into the Springboks to just see because we're a bit removed from it, perhaps uh, these days compared to when they were involved in, in Super Rugby. Uh, see if we can get a bit of expert insight into just exactly where they're at and where they're tracking. Uh, but, mate, we will uh, organise that and talk to you then. Look forward to it. Cheers.